Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Tiefling Talks podcast, where we shoot the shit, and you guys listen for some reason. And hopefully the shit doesn't shoot back. That would be exciting. All right. Um, so first thing on the list here uh, that I was kind of looking over and that I've been getting hyped about is I have a TV series that I am a big fan of the games and the lore and the books. Um, a TV series coming out actually this month. It is the uh, Halo TV series dropping, I want to say March 24th or 25th. And it's going to be kind of like a parallel universe, not the same type of canon uh, that the games and the books have. But uh, I'm regardless interested to see it like come to life, you know, then bring those weapons and the enemies to life. Yeah, because I watched like the uh, the mini series Halo Nightfall, Fall of Reach, like those were fairly good and they were kind of plot accurate. Right. Uh, I'm a bit disappointed to see that they couldn't stick with canon, but I'm interested to see where they take this. Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know, um, and that's kind of the thing that everyone's got to take away from this is that it's not canon, so don't be super upset. They already announced that they'll actually be showing the Master Chief's face and stuff and everything else, so that'll be a, that'll be a whole whirlwind, but regardless, I'm just interested to see the kind of assets that embodies halo come to life you know yeah i'm a bit worried about that whole showing chief's face like that was kind of his whole gimmick was that he could just be anybody right very true and uh also cortana's not blue now yeah rest in peace blue lady um but other than that uh there's also tiny tina's wonderland coming out which i've been trying to stay away from as many spoilers as i can but uh, I'm on Twitter way too much, and that is a problem. Yeah, I don't actually know much about the the Borderlands games, but I have seen at least the trailer for Tina's Wonderland, and using uh, Baby Metal is enough to get me interested. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, I know they were talking about like having a few different classes, but each of those classes can actually be mixed with other. Okay, so here it says, you can mix and match six unique character skill trees, each with their own bespoke abilities. You can tweak your character's appearance too, how they sound, and take on the Dragon Lord and his cronies in single player or with up to three friends in four player co-op. That's um, a lot more intense than I expected. Right. Uh, let me see here. They got the Berserker, a frost-infused bruiser that uses magic and melee power. The Clawbringer, which is thunder and flame power doled out with a hammer, plus a wyvern companion. That's actually pretty cool. Um, they have... Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be playing Graveborn. Graveborn is Death Touch Acolytes, who use dark magic and have a Demi-Lich companion. Are you kidding me? Dude, who, who, who would not want a Demi-Lich companion? Um... Let's see, the next one they got Spell Shot, which is Gun Toting Wizards, hell yeah. Uh, Spore Warden, Masters of Nature with an adorable mushroom companion. Damn, it seems like a lot of people are getting companions in this one, hell yeah. Ooh, Stabomancer, Assassins that focus on getting critical hits who can summon magical blades. Damn, dude, I feel like I'm going to be playing a lot of different classes and I'm going to be playing this game a few times over. Yeah, that's definitely a, a very important trait of games is replayability. 
There's a lot of games where you play through them once and it's fun, and then that's about it. Right, you know, and and you play through the story, and there there are certain games that do it just right, like Skyrim. I have gone back time and time and time again and played new playthroughs of it. Um, uh, Fallout Four, I've played through a few times, and Bethesda's really got that down where they know how to get you to come back and play it again in a different way. Yeah, I haven't played um, ah, the name literally just slipped my mind. Uh, the first game you mentioned, Skyrim. Yeah, Skyrim. I haven't oh. played like five minutes of that, but I've played Fallout Four. I've sunk a couple hundred hours into that game easy. Yeah, I mean Skyrim's definitely more geared towards the fantasy RPG kind of deal. Um, so if you're more into that futuristic kind of gun blazing RPG style like uh, Fallout is, then you know it definitely understandable. Yeah, there was a uh, surprising kind of rpg but not really that came out uh man like 2012 or something it was really old the uh the mad max game oh i i vaguely vaguely remember that yeah that honestly the first time i touched halo infinite that game just came back to mind i love that game so much yeah i uh i had the same thing happen with me in black desert i before I knew it, six months of my life had disappeared, and I didn't remember what happened. Oh my god! Yeah, it was, that's uh, the sign of a good game. Yeah, it was. It was. It was bad. It was an addiction type deal. Like you, I spent six months, and I still wasn't eat on top of any of the leaderboards or anything. With six months of dedicated time, goes to show you how much you actually have to put into this game. There are people that take three years just to get to like number one on the leaderboards and stuff for that type of game. Yeah. And it's it's insane, but it's you know that's what games are there for to, to, to suck you in and take you out of the world around you, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's an escape of sorts. Yeah, and I mean, just twenty twenty two in general with TV, movies, games, it's it's going to be crazy. They got the new Kirby coming out. Um, what else they got? Uh, Saints Rose coming out. Um. I believe Starfield is coming out, which was something I really wanted to look into. Uh, Stalker 2 is coming out. Then uh, they had quite a few different TV series. Uh, I believe the Lord of the Rings TV series is coming out this year. Um, there's another one I'm missing. I think it might be the Game of Thrones one, but I don't know how that one's working out right now. Um, Movie-wise, they got the new Sonic coming out this year. They got the new Doctor Strange coming out. Um, they got, uh, I believe you were there when we went to the theaters, the Mo, uh, Morbius. Yep. That's coming out. And I, I really want to see that, that, that looked like such a cool concept. Yeah. It's on my list of stuff to watch. Um, I don't honestly remember the premise, like my memory gets worse by the day, but it's on my list of stuff to watch. Yeah. Um, basically it's, uh, this doctor, I believe that gets this kind of, disease or cure or whatever that turns him into this like monster vampire and he's battling with like the sides of light and dark of kind of um to be the hero or the villain yeah it's coming back to me now um but then uh let's see what else uh batman's coming out which is a three hour long movie from what i'm hearing and i'm very interested to see that i don't know that one's gonna be it's gonna be either super hit or super miss because it's right. such fan of the christopher nolan batmans mm -hmm. 
for sure you know christopher nolan did really uh uh did really good um but i don't know i'm just i feel like this one's gonna have a lot more of that darker connotation that surrounds batman that's what i want to see i want to see the grim gritty nasty side of batman not the oh let's make it pg-13 and yeah we'll make a little bit of uh bad stuff but in this one you know just beating people's face and and everything like that i want to see that you know because that is what batman is there is there's a whole universe where batman is a literal just murdering person and although this isn't that it is closer to that than the rest of them have been right because everything almost has to be toned down for movies but finally getting free reign to just go ham and create what was actually intended for the character right um and that happens often these days yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, what else is coming out? Uh, I think Lightyear, the uh, Buzz Lightyear movie. That's in uh, early May, I think. Is it? Okay. Um, then they, I think they have uh, Black Adam coming out, right? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the one where The Rock's playing Black Adam. Uh, I'm going to have to look that one up to make sure. Yeah, and then I think also Thor Love and Thunder comes out, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Thor Love and Thunder is coming out, and uh, Black Adam is late July. Okay. Um, I believe they've also got a Flash movie coming out. Uh, and then there's a speculated Avatar 2 releasing this year, so that'll be... Yeah, another one that's going to be really difficult. That was... Uh... Yeah, Spiel- I don't know. Anything to do with like the big directors like Spielberg and stuff. Like, how do you really compete with that? Yeah. I, um, yeah, even some of those stuff that's already come out, I've been really uh, really excited for. Jackass Forever. Yeah, yeah. I heard good things about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I binged all of the Jackass media right before the movie came out. And that was some serious nostalgia. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I think the new or uh, I think that Uncharted movie, the adaptation of the game, came out yep. with Tom Holland. Uh, so that's out now as well. I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but yeah, Tom Holland and uh, Marky Mark from like everything ever. Right. Um, but was in general i mean 2022 is shaping up to be a good year for entertainment in terms of games movies and tv so really excited for that but you know enough about nerding out about everything but dungeons and dragons this is a D podcast so we'll kind of bring it back around um so uh one of the big things that i'm actually pushing to start doing on my end at least is i'm going to i'm I'm thinking about uh, messing with a Patreon and starting up a Patreon for um, kind of DMs, but also players to kind of come in, um, learn how to play Dungeons and Dragons, A, B, learn how to DM Dungeons and Dragons, kind of find good tools, stuff like that. But also um, it's going to be a place where I'm going to be able to kind of put like these ideas for campaigns out and like people could take them and run with them how they want to. So, um, for instance, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, uh, one where you're in right now, uh, called the silver dawn 
And it's got this kind of uh, almost war games type of vibe to it where you guys are going to push and try to take back towns from the demonic hordes. And then um, the demonic hordes are obviously going to push back and it's going to become this kind of battlefield conflict wise that you guys have to make strategic choices on. Do I save this town or do I save this town? Do I go to this battle or do I go to this battle? And I kind of want to bring because I've got like boatloads of ideas. I've literally got um, probably four pages of lined paper front and back uh, lined with just different campaign ideas at this point. And I want to kind of bring those to light. And even if I can't run them all, I would like, you know, other people to have the chance to run them as well. Definitely. I mean, you shouldn't stop at a Patreon. You should go OnlyFans. Go all the way. But, uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, but and that's that's the other thing is uh, my uh, significant other. Uh, she got a iPad and she's been drawing on that now instead. And uh, she's actually been letting me use it. And I'm trying to get good at uh, drawing characters now. So we'll see how well that goes. But uh, it's not too bad. It's actually yeah. a lot easier uh, than I thought, but definitely uh, a time-consuming thing to learn. Yeah, I could see um, not only posting your own ideas, but like taking the ideas of other DMs and just like taking a minute to flush them out and using that as your uh, your paid content. Because there's a lot of DMs that have ideas, and a lot of players too that have ideas. Like, oh, I want to play in an evil campaign, for instance which is one that I've had as well. But it takes a ton of like preparation, and it's not something that a lot of people really know how to do properly. Right, right. Yeah, that that is definitely part of it as well as uh, kind of towards the higher tiers. It, it, it'll kind of be in there for you to kind of reach out to me, and I'll do direct one-on-ones to help you kind of flesh out your campaigns or um, uh, at the highest tier or second highest tier, I think. It's, it's going to be somewhere where... Um, you know, I sit down with you and I actually, you know, explain why you need to do this and, you know, we'll bounce ideas off each other. And, you know, sometimes that's all it really comes down to is having someone there to bounce ideas off of, which is why I enjoy having you around because it, it helps a lot for me to sit there and be like, oh, well, I was thinking about doing this mechanic. And then you throw it back. I mean, you're like, yeah, that's cool. But sometimes they could feel like this. And, you know, it gives me a whole perspective I didn't have before. Oh, I feel important now. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's true, man. It's true because uh, it's real easy to get burned out, especially when you're trying to think of everything on your own. And that's that's kind of a tough task, especially, for instance, I'm running one, two, three, four, five different D&D sessions as of right now. That's not including the one I play a player in. Um, on Fridays, so yeah. I've I've got six different D and D sessions. All of them have a different type of game going, so it's very easy to get burnt out. And for me, I I want to become a professional um, GM. I want to make uh, Dungeons and Dragons my career um, of choice because you know it's, I enjoy the living hell out of it. And on top of that, I. I really want to get out of the work environment I'm in now because it is kind of a almost a mental health hazard if uh for lack of better terms. 
yeah, definitely being in a toxic workplace, really, it doesn't help either at the workplace or at home because none of that stuff really ever stays at the workplace. It always comes home to some degree. Exactly. Exactly. Very, uh, very true. And, you know, that's the thing I'm trying to do the most of is, you know, trying to leave it at work, but it, it just doesn't happen. And then it trinkles into um, my time making campaigns and my D&D stuff. And then before you know it, I'm uh, I'm just too tired to do it. Uh, I don't want to, you know, and it's, it's not even that I'm not creative. It's just, I'm so exhausted from dealing with work that I don't really want to come home and do anything except just kind of zone out watching TV. Yeah. As much as I hate to say it, sometimes that's just out of your control. It's not really something you can choose whether you're part of that environment or not. So right. And able to make the swap. Right. And, you know, if you got the opportunity, you know, push towards it, and that's what I'm doing. I am I am wearing myself thin running this many sessions, but the closer I can get to my goal of, you know, making it to do that and leaving my job, you know, the harder I'm going to work for it. Because honestly, it's it's something I want to do. It's a way, not only a way out, but also it's a transition from doing something that I hate to make money to doing something that I love and want to pour my heart and soul into um to to uh basically pay my bills and you know keep me afloat you know um so i'm never gonna like push to charge people an arm and a leg but you know just enough to make sure i can get by to do another session next week you know yeah exactly and in the end if you can support yourself on something like this then you're not really working you're just living right and it's, it, it doesn't become survival anymore. It becomes enjoying your life, you know. And that's one thing I envied about my significant other so bad is that, you know, that's how she's lived. You know, she she does digital art. She draws for people and she makes money that way. And it's like, Jesus Christ, if I had the artistic ability, I would be so on board for that, you know. No kidding. And for the longest time, I struggled to find that kind of creative outlet because, you know, I, I tried writing, I tried drawing, I tried making machinimas and Halo. You know, I, I, I did the whole loop-de-dah. I tried making beats for music and stuff. And it just, I, I couldn't really find a niche that worked. Either it was too fast-paced, too slow-paced, you know, it wasn't the right thing. I didn't have the heart into it. And then I stumbled upon D&D. I started playing it. And I'm like, wow, I really have fun envisioning these worlds and then it slowly moved to um, where I was like, you know what? Hey, fuck it. I'm going to host a D&D session on Sundays and, you know, I'm going to see how it goes. And, you know, you guys said I didn't do too bad. So I was like, all right, well, I'll try my hand at, uh, at being a professional DM. And ever since then, I've been teaching myself a bunch of things, learning up on things. Um, it really helps having veteran players in there because it's... Um, especially for new players when they're asking questions a lot of times they can jump in and answer while i'm preparing the next map or whatever so um big shout out to all the veterans out there that play D and uh aren't really uh buttholes about it for lack of a better term we're allowed to swear some right a little bit i guess i don't know i mean we're not monetizing this so shit <laughs> Um, that careful. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, and it's just, it's something that I'm trying to work towards. So, you know, uh, a Patreon and then just throw in sessions out there and doing sessions until 
I get good enough and confident enough in my ability to raise my session price a couple bucks because I'm, I'm never going to charge them an arm and a leg, like I said, but just enough to where I can get on my feet and be like, okay, well, sorry job, but uh, I no longer have to sit here and take this abuse day in and day out. I actually have another avenue and I'm going to go pursue that full time. Exactly. Know? And, you know, I get it. I get it. A lot of people don't have a choice. You know, I was in the same situation before I found D&D and uh, found out that you can actually get paid to DM games for people. Um, excuse me. Hold on. Uh, and so I was just going in every day thinking that, you know, what? this is my hell. This is my grave. I've just got to deal with it. I've got to be here for it. You know, it's what I got to do to pay my bills, to have a house, to pay my electric bill, which Jesus Christ was $700 this month. Dude, what the hell? Yeah, no kidding. I am getting natural gas put into this house ASAP and some solar panels. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Um, That's still your tower. Yeah. But uh, at, at the same time, you know, that's that's something that not a lot of people have the option to. And I totally get it, you know, being there, having that mindset and just figuring you got to struggle day in and day out and. It does suck, but I'll tell you what, if you have the opportunity, A, start looking for a new job instantly. Don't don't wait until you get fired. Don't wait until it sounds like the company's closing. Don't wait until you've reached your last straw. If you're feeling uncomfortable at your job, even the slightest bit, look for a new job. Look, uh, Just start applying yourself to other places. Put in your interviews other places because you, know, you never know. Um, I was ready to take a call center job to get out of the current job I have now, and... Um, honestly, I hear the environments in those types of settings aren't very, uh, nice either. Um, but you know, and if you can start saving money, uh, if you find out that you can monetize your hobby and you know, it, it's something that you're comfortable with doing and going towards do it. Absolutely. You know, make sure that you know what you need to know going into it. Don't just kind of jump head first. Uh, make sure you kind of dip your toe in the water and kind of figure out that it's pretty chilly. So you might want to prepare for that. Yeah. It's unfortunate how many people don't either don't know or just don't like apply themselves to a hobby that they can monetize because there's a lot of people who make themselves a, a pretty decent living on just filming what they already do and stuff like that. Right. You know, I mean, that's how I look at Rooster Teeth. They started out making machinimas, right? And now they own multiple, like, studios. They they do animation. They do live action. They do video game videos. You know, they have, like, a whole fucking network. And it, it's worth quite a bit. They hold a convention every year, you know? And it's like they started out in a three-bedroom apartment, all of them together filming a machinima. Literally. And a lot of times people don't understand is like you can start from basic equipment and work your way up slowly, little by little. And that's what I've been doing. You know, um, the biggest thing was when I got into this, I started using start playing and people started signing up for my games. I didn't take that money and pocket it. I, uh, I still don't. What I do is I take the money that I earn and I reinvest it back into my hobby, buying assets, tokens, animated maps, uh, whatever I can get to spice up my games and make it more interesting and uh, more fun for the players. You know, I'm constantly looking for 
um, the next book coming out, making sure that I got money from uh, doing a session to buy it so that way my players have access to that content. And it's, it's always an investment back into the business until it gets to a point where I don't need to invest anymore. And I, I, it's good. It's at its foundational level. Uh, great. And I could just run with it. Yeah, absolutely. That's another thing that a lot of people do is they'll, even if they do start a side hobby, like you're saying, they just blow the profits immediately thinking, oh, this is all free, but no, it takes putting in to get something out. Right. You got to spend money to make money. And, uh, you know, everybody always thinks there's some sort of quick uh, cash grab or free method. There's not, you know. Um, for instance, I was looking at getting a vending machine for my current work. They said that they'd allow me to put it in and stuff. And I was looking at it. And I'm like, shoot, I can make like 600 bucks a month just having this random ass vending machine out here. And I got to come out here once a week and stock it with some pops. That's not a problem, you know, for 600 bucks a, a month extra 600 in my pocket that I didn't have previously. Yeah. That's, that's not a bad deal, you know? And so it's just, it's taking those moments to kind of look around and finding out, Hey, what can I capitalize on? What can I do? You know, you, you got to look at it from a business mindset as well as your hobbyist mindset. Yes. I love D and D to death. And if I want to make it a career, I have to have a business mindset looking at it. You know, I have to be able to make sure that, okay, if I get a subscription service where, um, say, I subscribe to somebody else's Patreon and that's $10 a month, right? Well, I also get the servers to host my uh, foundry so that way you guys have maps that load a lot quicker versus kind of lagging and trying to get the ping from where I live. Um, that's another 12 to $13. So I got to make sure my games uh, compensate for that. So I got to kind of figure all this stuff to make sure that I'm running a decent margin, but at the same time, you know, I'm not going to let that side distract from the fact that I enjoy making the game. I enjoy putting in the time, the effort, making the maps, the lore. Um, and, and, you know, you just got to make sure that you have that kind of equal mindset and a really controversial yet, um, good person that has done this is Pokimane or however you say her name. She has, monetize the living hell out of just being a Twitch streamer. You know, she has used her business mindset to elevate her status to the next level. Like her business mindset uh, involving the Twitch platform is insane. Like she's controversial as hell. Yes, but you cannot deny that this woman has made money on here. And, you know, she just did it by chatting with people, by playing games. Yeah, more than just money, she made a name for herself too. So even like long after, even if she stopped doing the streaming, then like she could use that name down the road as well. Right. Like recognition. Right. You know, and I guarantee she gets brand deals out the wazoo and stuff, you know, and that's, I don't ever believe I'm going to become some type of Matt Mercer or the next Matt Mercer or anything like that. But I definitely know what my goal is to become as a DM slash GM. And that is player first, you know, um, obviously I'm going to give you guys the best possible experience I can render, you know, uh, first and foremost. But then um, secondly, I'm going to make sure that it's challenging. You know, I, I don't want you guys to sit there and be like, 
okay, I'm going to hit that guy. Oh, he's dead. All right, I'm moving on to the next guy. Hit that guy. Oh, he's dead. Move on to the next guy. Or become a, I hit him. He hits me. I hit him. He hits me. You know, I'm going to try and find ways to spice it up. Like, oh, okay, well, you guys all need to roll con saves. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, why? Well, the big bad turns around, throws a huge-ass vial of poison on the ground that mists up and spreads into your guys' lungs. Anyone who rolls below a 15 is poisoned and paralyzed, you know? Stuff like that. I want to become as good as I can and then, you know, fully unleash that to my players so that way they get those engaging sessions because that's that's something I enjoy hearing as well. Like, that's part of the reason why I do this is um, a lot of my uh, other sessions, um, the low-level combat, is always the most tricky for them and always the most like on the seat intense because hey, one hit could take you out. You got seven HP or nine HP. So yeah, you're very vulnerable at this stage. So it makes combat like that more uh, seat edge gripping, you know, where you're kind of, oh God, well, I got to either make or break. I either use this potion or I hit this guy. If I hit him, there's a chance I could take him out. But if I miss, then I'm screwed and he takes me out if I don't drink the uh, healing potion. Yeah, that's definitely something that late game combat lacks because adventures become so powerful so quickly like after even level five like the cr rating just becomes basically irrelevant and you start having to make creative challenges like that to keep the game interesting or else it just becomes the fighter starts swinging two to four times a turn with action surge the caster just throws one or two spells and then has to run away because they're out of slots like it just becomes the same thing over and over without these other challenges. Right. And, you know, that's kind of like the next thing is like you also have to focus on action economy because, yeah, OK, um, you've got four enemies, but uh, and you got four players. Some of your players might be able to hit twice. Some of them might be able to use bonus actions to attack. Now you've got six attacks on their turn or eight attacks on their turn and still four on your enemy turn. So, yeah, they're going to have the action economy. Yeah, they're going to take you down. And um, that's one of the cool things is I actually found this enemy that's uh, it's some type of goblin. It's a shadow goblin or something. I forgot what it was called. But basically, he gets four attacks, and he's only CR two or three. Um, and he gets uh, – so he's like a martial artist. So he's got uh, unarmed attacks, and then he's got darts he can throw. Um, and he can use any combination of either or. So it was cool. I threw two of those in there, dude, and – um, so this commissioned game I run, um, basically they bought like a, uh, a homebrewed kind of custom made game just for them. Um, and I ran that for them and I put them in there and these guys are level four at this point. Uh, there's three of them and I put two of these guys in there for them to face and they, they struggled, man. They, they used up quite a few of their healing potions. They used a lot of um, a lot, if not all of their spell slots. Um, it, it was it was a fun encounter and they really enjoyed it. They're like, man, there was only two of them, but they were kicking our ass. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's it becomes a lot more fun when it's engaging and you do take those hits. You know, when, for instance, your AC is 26 and you never get hit by anything, it just kind of becomes, OK, well, what kind of combat encounters can I expect moving forward? Probably dex saves. So. I'll just up my decks, and then all of a sudden, you're just basically an immovable rod, if you want to be. <laughs> hmm, I wonder who that comment was based on. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's 
it's not bad, I guess, but it's it's something that you're as a DM you need to make sure that your player understands moving forward after they level up and everything. You have to make sure that your player understands why combat's going to get less challenging if they decide to try and take all these feats that allow them to get a plus one to AC or get two uh, rings of protection and have full plate mail plus three. You know, you got to explain to them, yes, you can definitely get that. You can definitely get to that point. But combat is going to become a lot less fun to play because there's going to be no challenge to it. And that's something I also had to explain to my commission players because I'm not naming any names, but one of those players is the type of player that likes to go in and doesn't really care about the rules. He just wants to, all right, well, I use my dagger to attack, and then I'm going to cast Firebolt with my bonus action. I'm like, well, you can't cast Firebolt with a bonus action. And he's like, what? Well, that's kind of lame. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of dumb. And I'm like, yeah, but that's kind of how the game plays because it makes it a little bit more interesting. Yeah, it's balanced that way for a reason. Right. Which... Let's be honest, 5e is kind of a roller coaster when it comes to balance, but at the same time, you know, it's a lot more balanced than uh, it, it could be if it was just chaotic rules. Yeah, I think the best way to put it is 5e started balanced. Right. And they introduced stuff like the Twilight and Peace clerics and the... Tasha's Cauldron and everything yeah, that, else. That basically sums up everything wrong with 5e is Tasha's. Yeah. You know, and not to say Tasha's bad. Fucking, I, I love some of the stuff that has come out of Tasha's. And I equally hate some of the stuff that I love that has come out of Tasha's. It, it's it's really cool. You know, I, I for instance, the uh, steady aim for the um, rogues. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Love the option to get that skill. On the other hand, there is some pretty janky stuff that you can get up to when uh, you choose some of the optional feats for the other classes. Yeah, no, I definitely uh, I feel that. Like, the custom lineages is another uh, it's good one. Um, or the custom lineage itself is good. Customize your origin is where I start to have a problem where you can do or you can assign your ASIs from racial bonuses yeah yeah uh that's it it gets really wonky really crazy and you gotta be careful especially if i'm not gonna say i'm not a new dm i'm very new um at least compared to some of the other people on the site but if you don't know everything about everything in content coming out do not use it because odds are if you're like me and you are accepting random people in to do sessions with, there is a very real chance that one of those players knows everything about everything in there and they know how to min-max their character and they know how to break the game. So if you don't have the experience with um, content that has been released or is out, don't use it. Uh, Wait until you have a chance to read up on stuff to kind of figure things out then yes, play a game uh, with some players. See how they use it. See how they, um, if they manipulate it in any way, if they try to uh, rule lawyer it, then you get a feel for it. And then you can start saying, hey, I don't allow this in my game. I don't allow this. And it it is experience, but at the same time, the biggest thing is reading up on the material as it comes out. Don't just look at it. Look at Cliff Notes. Um, I'm sure you could watch some videos, but 
the biggest thing is reading through that because you read through, you figure out the spells, you figure out the wording. You don't even have to commit it to memory, just enough to where you get a general sense of, ooh, a spell that lights up every enemy within 120 feet might be a little broken. Let's not use that. Or, you know, vice versa. Or, for instance, for me, um, uh, something I noticed from uh, another campaign I actually uh, watched, I, uh, I sat in and kind of watched this campaign happen. It's, uh, it's really crazy because they, they play with uh, hand-drawn maps that they take pictures of and upload to Roll20. And it's a lot more slower paced theater of the mind style. And it was a really refreshing take from the whole kind of map for everything and um, little no theater of the mind style. So it was really crazy. But uh, I went and played that. And I got to say, one of the biggest things that I took away from it was as a DM, the identify spell doesn't tell you exactly what the name is or every little thing about an item instead it just gives you a general sense oh this is a holy relic that might have something to do with x y or z they don't tell you any of the other benefits because it's something you got to investigate and find out later and kind of take the time to research and uh test out you know and that's something that kind of hit me as oh yeah that makes sense i mean identify isn't going to give you the stat block it's not like you're going to see a little floating stat block show up for that item yeah, as fun and easy as that would be, it feels like a lot of people who run 5e get like the idea that the system is kind of spoon-feeding you everything. So they just kind of they run their games to that stereotype. Right. And uh, that's something I'm starting to kind of make my own template of 5e, I guess. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I don't run modules. I... I because homebrew allows me so much more a creative freedom, but b it also allows me to balance things in a way that could be very broken from other games. So, for instance, if they don't say what loots in the chest in a module, and I just give you guys some random stuff, there's a very real chance you guys could break the rest of the module with the random stuff I put in there. However, exactly. if I have a homebrew and I give you some random stuff and you try to break something, I can then just homebrew the homebrew and make up another encounter that is a lot harder to break or a scenario where yeah you guys do that and you just make it worse for yourselves yeah like um i can't say this for certain but uh in uh like tomb of horrors or something or tomb of annihilation rather like giving a ring of uh, necrotic resistance may not feel strong at first um but if you're going up against a lot of enemies that deal necrotic damage later in the module then all of a sudden, like, uh, uncommon rarity magic item becomes something that's of serious concern. Right. And that's that's something that, you know, I, I'm running this, uh, the Silver Dawn campaign, and you guys know right off the bat, oh, our main enemies are going to be of the fiend type. Uh, demons, devils, that type of deal. Of course, uh, what happened? We had a character instantly go, all right, I'm going to be a paladin. And it's like, okay, you know. And so with homebrew, I can kind of go in there and, you know, I can make up a race like uh, I took the uh, Duragar and I changed them up to where it was actually a type of um, disease that was like uh, injected into them and changed them to be this kind of uh, pale skinned uh, dwarves that um, had this nasty and vicious kind of demeanor. And so, you know, it 
took away the fact that they would have had vulnerability because they were a quote-unquote fiend to radiant damage or something and uh it also took away you know uh the paladin's ability to sense and everything um because it was a infection it wasn't actually that they were fiends or anything um so that's one of the big things that i love about homebrews is i can work with what i've got yeah and that also ties in with the uh the ranger that's in the silver dawn game who just picked oh i want fiends to be my um favorite enemy which makes sense but that's also like very clearly to gain an advantage in their uh right in their gameplay right and you know i i totally get that i'm not gonna fault them for it and they're gonna have their moments to shine where they can track um and stuff like that and the paladin can use his smites and um divine uh everything else um but i'm also not going to allow them to subtract that type of moment from other players as well i'm not going to let them sit there and be like okay well since i'm the paladin or the ranger with favorite enemy i'm not going to be the star of the show 24 7 you know i'm going to make encounters moving forward that um suit the other characters that they get their moments you know um and yeah, you can with like a pre-written module with a standard composition all day long one paladin one uh like druid one fighter one wizard or something like that you can play that and sure every character is going to have some kind of moment because that's what it's tuned for as a party of four semi-diverse characters but nothing's really gonna compare even close to a campaign written with the people in mind right and that's that's why I love homebrew is because I can actually tailor sections and you know a lot of times the players will see that this this part is meant for a certain character and a lot of times the players are like okay this is their turn for their moment in the sun and a lot of times yeah and they go up they they make their kill and they do their thing and you know that's that's part of it is is everyone having enjoyment and everyone enjoying the game together instead of one person coming in and thinking oh well. I want to be a badass and I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And it's like, okay, well, if that's the case, hire a GM for a one-on-one -on -one session. See how fun that is. Yes. You know, yeah. sometimes playing the, like the backseat character that just, they don't have a moment. They're just kind of there and they're here to have fun. Like um, my old guy, you from the, the pirate campaign. He he didn't do anything really special, but like the few moments where he actually had a chance to do something and participate, everybody was having a good time. Cause oh it was yeah, just, it was hilarious. It was, yeah, it was fun. It was uh, absolutely even as a DM, it was fun when you like got to those moments because I was like, oh, oh my god, and uh, a lot of well, honestly, there was a lot of my head in my hands type of moments, but you know. Well, uh, that just yeah, that comes with the territory of playing a game with me in it, though. But it, it it's an enjoyable experience either way. You know, people get laughs out of it, and that's really what you're supposed to do when playing games is you're supposed to laugh, cry, feel emotion, and escape the reality you're in, but still feel like yourself. You know, still be able to be yourself if you, that's what you want. Still have your emotions. Right. And that's kind of. The biggest reason why I love D&D is at the end of the day um, and why I love DMing is when I can get those chances um, for you guys to feel those emotions. Like, for instance, um, going back to the Sunday campaign I ran with all of you guys, 
a couple scenarios. First of uh, which was put Nesrin through uh, the ringer with her mom and her uh, her lover. It was it was traumatic for me. I I don't know if I was in a dark place when I wrote this down or what, but like playing it, uh, however many days or weeks later, I was like, oh god, I can't believe I have to say this and you know put it through and and you know. Nesrin played her character, uh, or Tori played her character great, which was called Nesrin, and uh, Nesrin showed up at, at uh, wherever the meeting spot was, and, you know, she described how her character was. Her character was just kind of feeling, looking empty, like nothing was going on, like she had just seen too much and wanted to not exist. Yeah, and trust me, we got private messages afterwards that were, they were vague enough but we could clearly get the memo. She was not like, she was very messed up from that session in like the best of ways. Right. And I wasn't trying to like permanently scar her for life. You know, she said that she's good and stuff. Now I, I made sure to message her and make sure like, you know, she's okay. Uh, I, I'm not gonna, but you know, that's, that's part of what you guys signed up for was that like very real feeling, you know, that very like, Whoa, okay. Is this real life? What's going on here? You know, type of deal i told you right off the bat it was going to be nitty gritty it was going to be tough you were going to be challenged every step of the way you know plans aren't going to always work out and uh you know that's how it played out and the biggest part was uh originally um Vern wasn't going to make it to the final of D&D so when um that lich came back to life and put his fist through Vern's chest and had his beating heart in uh the lich's hand you know um Vern was the dragonborn uh in the sunday campaign who literally i think triple critted one of my bosses and just melted him uh so he had it coming i mean not really but anyway um yeah and you guys were all sitting there like uh what and you know nobody was saying anything and then that's when like i had the screen tear happen because Literally, like, 10 minutes before that scene happened, Vern uh, messaged me. He's like, yeah, I guess I'd be able to make it if it's going to be on a Saturday or something. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Yeah, surprise. I just killed your character off. Uh... Right. So I, I had to go back and uh, change it up a little bit, and that's when that screen tear happened. And the, um, the biggest thing is that DNPC that has been with the party since the beginning, you know, traveling with you guys, bonding with you guys, you guys see, uh, watched him kind of grow into his character and kind of start being his own person. He took Vern's spot and took that hit and died so that way you guys could move on to the next area and complete uh, the mission and, and do what you guys needed to do. And that was a very surreal moment um, when you guys first learned that happened because you guys actually got a glimpse of the future and saw that happen and that that changed the whole tone of that session. That's another session that uh, we'll get into later. But basically, they saw that same scene in a vision previously. And going from beach party to that scene back to beach party was not uh, easy for you guys to be like, oh, yeah, let's be happy and merry. You guys were like, I think I'm dead inside. Yeah, I'm not really sure how you expected us to be like beach episode. Wait, surprise, we're depressed. Yeah, no, 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 That that's definitely exactly what i was going for i was going for you guys were gonna have fun 
you guys were going to get smacked in the face like, wait, what just happened? And then you're going to feel the burn afterwards as I bring you back to the beach party. And and you see Damien over there having fun, uh, um, hitting on uh, a few ladies. And, you know, it was that moment of, oh, God, I need alcohol. And you were like, uh, I'm just going to go lay down in the water. Yeah, this is it for me. I'll see you guys later. I'll hopefully drown here. Um but yeah, and it's it's those very surreal moments that if I can get you guys to that point, um, obviously I don't want to get you to the point where you guys are so sad you never come back to the campaign, but I want you to feel emotion playing my games. I don't want you to sit there and be like, yeah, another great session of combat. Um, talked to the shopkeeper, went back into combat. See you next week for the same thing. You know, I, I, I want that to be like, Oh God, don't scar us again. We'll be back next week. And uh, you guys come back next week and you have a pretty good session of killing some stuff, blowing some steam off and um, getting back your morale. And it's just, it's, it's those moments that uh, not only drive me, but I feel like make a campaign memorable. Oh, right. And that's why, go ahead. That's the thing is like the little miscellaneous combats aren't the things that really stuck with me through the whole campaign. It's moments like Jehovah getting put through the ice and uh, yeah, Nesrin's experience with her parents and trying to convince Nesrin's parents that uh, she and Damien were going out. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Vern coming in and burning the village to the ground because he didn't realize that you guys were back in time or he did and just didn't realize that they didn't know who he was. Yeah, he probably knew and just didn't care. And that's all right. Yeah, that's all right, too, but we'll keep that one a secret. Yeah, she doesn't need to know. Especially after not uh, after going through everything else, I'm, I'm not ready to put that on her. No kidding. Um, but, you know, it, it's something I'm good at is, you know, writing the traumatic moments, but also I want to start working on the moments of, oh, my God, this is so awesome. Just like... Uh, I put the uh, tall lady in there, the vampire lady for you guys, and you guys free- you guys were freaking out for like 30 minutes before we could get back to the session. Yeah, we have problems with tall ladies. Yeah, it was, uh, what was it, Lady uh, Dimitrescu? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I put her in there as a homebrewed character in there, part of the vampires that were stuck in the cells, uh, part of, uh, I forgot whose dungeon it was. I think it was Vern's reincarnation because I think it was Vamela. Yeah, because we were all sad that we had to fight her. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, and so it was. Uh, so it was that, and you know, that 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 was a moment. You know, I, I I'll never forget because you guys were just sitting there like, "Oh my god, yes, pick me up, yes, choke me," oh. and I'm just like, "Oh my god." Yeah, you got to see what total. Uh... What total deviance we are. How horrible. Yeah, and we all figured out that Jehovah was a sub and everything else. Hey, that was undecided. But, and it's it just, it's those moments and those plot connections. Like, uh, for instance, you guys found a skeleton in the first dungeon that you guys could take with you. It wasn't until later that you uncovered that it was your previous reincarnation's uh, son, you know, and it, it was like that that cross that just kind of came together and was like a really cool like realization you guys saw the father son kind of bonding moments as they were talking then we probably had to let him go but uh yeah yeah he enjoyed it i'm sure oh yeah um and it's just 
that's why I love homebrew. It, it's it's so much. There's so much more that can be put into it, and I get why people run modules. It's easy. Uh, you read off of a paper, and it it everything is there. But if you're willing to put in the work for a homebrew and the best part about homebrew and sometimes the scariest thing for a lot of people is that there's no starting point there's no structure there's nothing there but that's also the best thing because for instance um for my case in particular i don't know the full lore on dungeon and dragons fifth edition i don't know the gods uh devils the uh, the patrons none of that i don't i haven't looked too far into that which is something i do want to do but for now i make my own gods i make my own patrons um i flavor them into for instance the i think it's like the great old one as a patron or whatever for uh what is it the warlock yeah um i i reflavored him into being a different homebrewed god but same principles and it works with that class uh for instance, um, in the Silver Dawn, I actually run a second session of that, and um, there's a character in there that's a moon druid, uh, or not a moon druid, a moon elf, I think, and they okay. worship a certain, uh, I forgot what her name is, but a certain moon elf goddess or something like that, and I just reflavored it to where, um, since I only have one god and one devil in this campaign... I reflavored it to where these elves kind of came to the idea and, and thought process that, oh, well, that's not actually your guys' God. That's just our God, you know, type of deal where, you know, for instance, uh, IRL, everybody is like, okay, well, our God's different than that Bible's God. And in reality, it's probably all the same God or something, you know? Yeah, because everybody can have a different, like, belief on the religion regardless whether like it's common knowledge if it's one or the other right and so that's what i figured would be a cool kind of uh plot hook is kind of just changing that up and putting that in there and then you know once it comes full circle everyone panics yeah but um yeah you know that that's just kind of uh a rant if you will about being a homebrew DM for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. All the uh, little goodies and kind of tidbits that go into it and the scary and good parts and why yeah, I enjoy it. To get the perspective because, like, I've only really been a player. I've only, like, I ran a couple sessions as a joke, but, or not so much a joke, but, like, as a trial, but it didn't really go anywhere. So seeing, like, a full-fledged DM and like getting their perspective on the events really does uh change things yeah you know and i starting out as a player you know i i played it and i've always like been on the edge where i'm like okay chris just just tell us what happens just tell me what happens next tell me what what, what i should do here what what's what's the next best thing you know and it's it's nice to have that kind of reversal where players are like Oh, uh, it's the end of the session already. Is uh, it's okay if I do an investigation check on this little thing over here and check this out? And I'm like, oh, well, it's the end of the session. You know, um, I'll write it down so that way I can remember that you wanted to do that at the beginning of the next session and stuff like that. You know, figure stuff out. And it's 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 a cool uh thing having both my perspective and your perspective coming from both the DM and player side. Although I am. 
probably the most inexperienced DM that uh, could possibly jump into this position. I speak from the heart, I guess, is uh, the best way I can put it. Yeah, speak from the heart, shoot from the hip. It'll go fine. Has been so far. Yeah. Um, I've got to fix Foundry, though, because something's happened with the, uh, the dice rolling tables. I literally uh, ran a session, and in a row, from different people, 11 natural ones. <laughs> so there's something seriously wrong, because I don't think that was supposed to happen. Dude, that sounds like my type of rolling. It, 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 11 rolls from different people, different creatures, different characters, the DM himself, and it was just... Okay, everybody, close down the game. We're going to reopen it type of deal. I have no idea what could cause something like that, but you can't exactly roll physical dice for a virtual game. Right, and that's a, that's the biggest uh, issue. Um, and that's kind of the double-edged sword of it is, you know, I love the tactile feel of actual dice in your hand as you roll them, you know. And so moving to virtual tabletop has been a tough challenge for me, but it is so much easier to sit there and click on stuff on the character sheet in Foundry and um, be like, okay, well, just roll its great sword. Instead of me looking up and it's like, okay, it's got a plus five and then I need to add this, it just rolls it automatically as soon as I hit great sword. And then I hit damage once I know it hits and it rolls the damage automatically. You know, and it's it's so convenient versus uh, sitting there and trying to memorize every little thing about, um, at least from the DM side, every little thing about every creature, every DNPC you have, um, and everything else. It, it's so easy to just double-click the token, uh, character sheet pops up, you instantly click uh, the skill that it needs to roll. Yeah, I could see that. I don't know, something about me... I'm still a sucker for paper character sheets just because that was the way that I learned and right different for everybody. But Oh no, definitely. I, if I could, I'd be running all IRL sessions, you know, cause that's ultimately the way I would want to go. But the chance of me living out here in the middle of nowhere, finding 12 sessions of players that want to play IRL all the time is uh, really, really rare. Yeah, even living where I do, it's not exactly easy to find people who want to play. Right, there's there's millions of people that play Dungeons & Dragons, just not where I live. Right. And, you know, it's it's a collective of around the world, so that's why Virtual Tabletop has become, like, the mainstream way to go if you want to play this. And, you know, with the help of Critical Role, mainstreaming D&D to the point where a lot of new people are coming in, it's... It's an expanding hobby that I can only foresee it getting even larger, you know. And that's a topic that we're going to have to to cover in another podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. Without a doubt. Matt Mercer effect and how that seems to gatekeep DMs sometimes, even though it really should encourage them. Right, right. Definitely. Um, But, yeah, and that's something we will talk about next time. Uh, But for now, this is... All the time we have for today, or this week, I should say. Um, it's been Gage and Brock on Tiefling Talks, and we'll see you guys next week. Yep, take care, everyone.